Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. This, this week, I did a test to become a, a British citizen. And to become a British citizen, you have to study a booklet, which is 180 pages long. And then there's a 20-page Jersey supplement, which you've got to study as well. And then you've got to go and you've got to do a 24-question test. And if you get... Uh, 75% or above you pass and then assuming you've fulfilled all the other requirements you can become a British citizen and it was all sorts of stuff some of it was um, when is Valentine's Day when is Mother's Day what is Christmas pudding who was Boudicca uh, who brought curry to the UK for the first time and when I mean there's some amazing questions in there hey Jella you did the test I think uh, it's quite it's quite an amazing test and um, that, along with several other things that have happened to me recently, have made me think about this thing of how do we gather people together in a group that's trying to achieve something, and we, if you want to call it membership, you can, but how do we get people together on, in common, with common goals and beliefs, um, but not be too strict and controlling like we've seen in Paris where if you don't agree with me, I shoot you. How do we, how do we get this balance between let's get together but let's not be controlling? I, I went to a, a meeting, a sports meeting last week as well with one of my sons and the coach was there for a Jersey sports team and he was saying, guys, you are the ones who are going to be our sports team and we've chosen you and you're awesome. And suddenly this feeling of, wow, we're special, we're great. And then he started laying on the pressure and it became quite a controlling kind of, ooh, I, just, I just felt more and more kind of, <coughs> pressure and weight and guilt and fear. He was, he was saying things like, but boy, you've got to be committed, guys. We're committed to you. You've got to be committed to us. We put so much effort into this. You've got to put so much effort in. We've done this. And if you don't do this and this and this, and if you don't make these many commitments and come this many times, and uh, it, it just got heavier and heavier. And by the end of it, I actually felt quite uh, sad and quite worried. And, and Almost like, oh boy, is this really worth it? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in a church environment where the life of God is there? It's just God's blessing and life and excitement and supernatural. Wow, God's done something great in our midst. Isn't God great? And then somehow the control and the pressure and the manipulation and the guilt and the fear just creeps in. And suddenly something that was alive and beautiful becomes ugly. You ever been there? There's a great temptation for church leaders. And I'm being completely transparent with you today. There's a great temptation for us to use fear, manipulation, guilt and control to try and get people to do what we think God wants them to do. God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. That's kind of the, the, the feeling. God loves you, but I know what we need to do. And, and I'm going to reject you if you don't do what I want. I'm going to manipulate you, use emotional control, blackmail, guilt, fear. Even use the pulpit and the word of God to beat you, to make you do what I want. And that is an, a horrible thing. And I am so committed. I don't think we've got there yet, but I'm so committed for us as a church to never be like that. I want us to be a free and open place where God works 
and we see who God is adding to us rather than us trying to add people and force them. You know, in America and Australia, they have two different approaches to ranching. In Australia, they don't build fences around the ranches. They just build a nice well in the middle of the ranch and all the sheep or whatever it is come to the well and they stay there. In America, they build fences around the ranches to keep the sheep in. <coughs> I believe that the church is supposed to be a place where there's a well of life. And people come to the well. You don't need to build a fence. You don't need to put a, a, a boundary in and say to people, you have to climb this high to get in. And when you've climbed this high and you've been this good and you've done this many requirements, then you're in and we'll use control and whatever to keep you there. That's not necessary. All the time, I want us to be building a well where people are drawn to the life, but then we're watching for those who God is adding to us. In other words, we love everyone, even if somebody comes and they're not a Christian, even if they're a whatever, worship any other thing or God or whatever. We love you the same. We, we love you completely. We respect you. We honor you. Even if you are a Christian, but you don't agree with our doctrine, we love you the same. We respect you. That's fine. Everybody is loved the same, but some God adds together in, in a very, um, in a way that we're all like-minded. We know what, where we're going and we're doing the same thing. And that doesn't mean that we like those people more. It doesn't mean we love them more. It doesn't mean we treat them as more special. It's just from a practical point of view, those are the ones who are going to get the job done. But everybody is as important as everybody else. That's the kind of church that I want us to have. And so I'm going to just share very briefly today from Acts chapter 2. And I've called this relationship success because the keys in this little passage are the keys to successful relationships, not just in church, not just in life groups, but in marriage, in family, in anything. Anything we do, these are the keys to a successful relationship. I, I was reading a couple of statistics recently, and there's been some studies done. People with strong social relationships are 50% less likely to die prematurely. Uh, another research calculates that committing to a life partner can add three years to your life expectancy. Students who reported having strong relationships were half as likely to catch a common cold. Doubling your group of friends has the same effect on your well-being as a 50% increase in income. Isn't that amazing? So let's read this amazing passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 47. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now listen to this last sentence. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. The Lord added. The Lord adds. Not our fences, not our membership control lists, nothing. I can't force somebody to be added to what God is doing in our midst. The Lord adds people, and all we can do is watch carefully to see who the Lord is adding. But we love everyone, even if they're not one of those who feels completely with us. Is that okay? So let's look at this. There's four parts to this. Family, mission, 
ordinary things in an extraordinary way. Can you say that with me? I don't often get us to say things together, but let's, let's just say that. A family, family. on a mission, on a mission. Doing, ordinary doing ordinary things in an extraordinary way. If you can remember that, that's the key to relationship success. So, the first bit is family. Verse 44. Now, all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. There's a real commonality. There's a family atmosphere. And the one word that describes this is love. A family has love. And what love means is I put you and your needs above me and my needs. If I have something and you don't have, I give it to you. I, I want to bless you. I want to help you. I want to lift you up rather than lift me up. I want you to be the important one rather than me being the important one. When there's genuine love in a group of people or even in a one-on-one -on -one relationship where I'm giving rather than trying to get... That relationship is successful and strong. Isn't that true? <clears throat> My sister was an amazing lady. She died about a year ago, maybe a bit more than that. But she had so many friends. She was living in a foreign country in Mexico where she didn't know the language when she first arrived. But when I went to visit her just before she died, I was amazed at how many friends, and not just friends, people who loved her deeply. I was amazed at how many there were. And the reason was... She was always wanting to give and seek the other person's best interest rather than her own. She was an amazingly giving person. If we have genuine love, when someone comes in, we genuinely want to bless them, love them, help them. Then I believe we can succeed. That's the first key to relationships. It's, it's not about me. It's not about getting. Whenever I speak to people who are thinking about getting married... I say to them, are you looking for the perfect spouse or are you looking to be the perfect spouse? Somebody has described it as a bank account in a marriage where every time I put money in, when I do something for my spouse, I'm putting money into the bank account and I can only take out as much as I put in. In fact, I need to put in more than I take out. That's what makes relationships work. If I come to any relationship, including a church, thinking what can I get, I'm depleting the bank balance, and eventually it'll be zero, and that relationship will break down. When I'm looking to give of myself, of my energy, my emotion, then that relationship works. Just to say that um, I'm not talking about money here, although that's obviously part of it, but in the beginning of the early church, they sold everything they had, and they shared all their money, but it evolved. As the church grew, later on in 1 Timothy 5, Paul writes to Timothy in Ephesus, he says, only certain people can get money from the church. It, it wasn't supposed to be forever that the church just shared all their money. There were certain requirements. So uh, I don't want us to get hung up on that we all have to give away all our money to each other. It's, that's not what it's all about. It's about an attitude of love, an attitude of giving, helping. Obviously, money and, and goods are part of it, but it's more the heart attitude. It's not getting hung up on one little material aspect of it. So, family. The second part is on a mission. <coughs> he says in verse 45, sorry, verse 46. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. 
continuing daily with one accord. That, that word continuing is mentioned just a couple of verses before in verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. It's the same word, continuing steadfastly and continuing daily. It's the same word and it means working together at something. And then in one accord is a Greek word, uh, homo thumadon, which means rushing along together. Homo means together, and thumadon means passion, or rushing along, or fire. When it says they, uh, they continued with one accord, they were going somewhere together. There was a sense of we're on a journey together. And that's why I say we're a family, but we're on a mission. I don't know if you've ever been in a group which is very much family, very much love, very much, oh, we all love each other. But when there's no mission where there's no purpose, where there's no bigger context of why are we here, what are we trying to achieve, that relationship can become uh, very inward focused and, and actually unhealthy. But when you start looking out and there's, a, there's an outward mission and something we're trying to achieve, it actually makes the relationship much more healthy. In a family, in a business, in anything, if we have something we're working together towards, if we have shared values and goals, it makes that relationship stronger. And so we're a family, but we're not just a family, we're on a mission. The mission should never be more important than the family. But also the family should never be more important than the mission. When you get the two together, you get health and strength in a life group, in a church. And that's why in our life groups in this church, what we're trying to do is we invigorate them. Every, every term, every 12 weeks, we say, let's shuffle and let's make the life groups change so that we keep ourselves focused. We don't become stagnant just in one little group. We're always looking out, looking at, at new things and new people. So a family on a mission. The next part is doing ordinary things. It says, breaking bread from house to house. Oh, let, me just, let me just mention, they met in the temple and from house to house. That's why we want life groups. We have this big meeting, but the house-to-house -house is so important. That's where strong relationships are built. But then it says, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They ate their food. Have you ever realized how important eating together is in the Bible? Jesus loved eating. Did you know that? It's amazing. I, I mean, not just in his ministry for all the years when he was with his disciples, but right at the end, in his ministry, he ate with Mary and Martha and Lazarus often. He went to Simon the leper's house. He went to the Pharisee's house for dinner. Uh, he fed the 5,000. He made wine at the wedding at Cana. The disciples were going on the Sabbath through the grain fields, and they started eating the grain together. There's a lot of eating in, in the stories about Jesus. But then right at the end, the level of eating just goes up a notch. And so just before Jesus is about to die, he says, let's eat. Last supper. Let's eat together. So they eat. And John chapter 14, 15, and 16 is all in the context of a meal that they're having together. And then he dies and he rises again. And he comes in to see them, and Luke chapter 2 says, While they still not, did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? 
<laughs> so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And then in another place, in John chapter 21, they, they're fishing on the, on, the, on the lake and Jesus appears. As soon as they'd come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and some fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught and come and eat breakfast. It was all about eating. There was a lot of food going on. And then uh, there were the two on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking along with them after he's risen again. And they don't recognize him. It says as soon as they ate together, he broke the bread with them. Then their eyes were open and they saw who he was. Jesus says in Revelation 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And then right at the end, when Jesus comes again, there's going to be a loud trumpet call. Jesus will come on the clouds. We'll all be caught up together with him in the air. You know what the first thing we're going to do is? We're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a lot of eating. Doing ordinary things was the way that Jesus brought relationships together. Doing ordinary things together and eating together is one of the most important things that we can do together. It's a wonderful way to build relationships. Can I just say, please, church, can we try and eat together more? It's a good thing. Eat together more. You know, Sunday after church is a brilliant opportunity to have lunch with someone. And not just somebody you already know well. Wouldn't it be great is if on a Sunday we came and we looked for someone we didn't know well, or maybe a newcomer to the church, we said, hey, come, let's go and have lunch. KFC is good, <laughs> but there's lots of other good restaurants as well. Or just go home or whatever, but it doesn't have to be a fancy meal, but eating together brings great relationship strength. So doing ordinary things, and then my last point is doing them in an extraordinary way. Listen to this. They ate their food with gladness. Gladness. That word is sometimes translated exaltation. It means great gladness. There was a great gladness in their hearts. Their attitude of heart was different from what you see in the normal world around us. Instead of complaining, Oh, miserable, oh, fearful, oh, worried, under stress. There was a gladness about them. Then it says, and with great simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. I'm going to come back to simplicity of heart, but they were praising God all the time. There was a, a positiveness, a thankfulness, a, a praise about them. There was an extraordinary attitude about them, and that builds great relationships. It also makes us attractive to the outside world. But then this word, simplicity of heart. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Other versions of the Bible say singleness of heart, generosity of heart, humble hearts. The word in the Greek is apelotes, which means having no stones. Quite an unusual word. And it's the picture of a field without lots of stones on it. It's a smooth field. And that's why the, the Bible translator said a simple heart or a single heart or a humble heart. It basically means there's no hidden agendas in their hearts. They had an unusual attitude. 
When people met the Christians in this day, they said there's something different about them. They have a, a singleness of heart, a simplicity of heart. There's no hidden agendas. There's no pride. There's no manipulation. They're not trying to get me to do something. They're just loving me and being open and honest with me. A singleness, a simplicity of heart. Look, this is me. I'm not perfect. I'm humble. I'm not better than you. But look, this is me and I love you. Friends, that is so attractive. When I was in the, the sports meeting with my boy the other day, I, just, I was thinking very much about this. Not to criticize the man who was speaking, because I, I don't blame him. I've been where he is, where he was before. But I just thought to myself, if he had said, guys, if you can't come to eight practices, you're welcome, we respect you, we like you, but we need some of you to come to eight so that we've got enough for a team. And we're not better than you, we're just asking for a team to be made. If he'd done it in a humble way, in an open, honest way, instead of, I got the feeling like he was trying to twist my arm through guilt. If he'd done that, I would have been so on board. I would have said, oh, I'm all for this sports team. But as, a, as it was, I left there feeling, oh, I'm not so sure about this. We as Christians, if we can come across with a simplicity of heart that says, this is us, we love you. We've got no hidden agendas. We just want to share this amazing love of Jesus with you. If you get on board and come to life groups and get in with what we're doing, that's awesome. But we'll love you anyway. There's a simplicity of heart. There's an openness and an honesty and a humbleness that doesn't say, I'm the religious one who's better than you. You know, that's so off-putting in a church. Have you ever been there to a church where you get the feeling like I'm not in the in crowd because I don't speak the right way or dress the right way or say the right things or I haven't been through the membership course or whatever it is. It's, there's a pride and an arrogance about that that is stones in a field. If we can get rid of that and just say, look, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, just, by you, just like you. God has given us this mission to do. We love you. Will you come along and do it? Then we get to this last verse where it says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. The Lord added, not just the saved people, but added them. Those, those who were saved, some of them said, we are added to this fellowship. We are with you guys. God adds people. We don't add people. So that's the ethos of what we're trying to do. And that's the ethos for any healthy and successful relationship. I just pray that we as a church can keep this. It's an attitude of grace. It's, a, it's an attitude that says, I've received so much grace from Jesus. All I'm doing is I'm just passing that grace on to everybody else. I don't deserve any of it. God's been kind to me. Look, I'm giving it on to everybody else. If we can have that, I believe God will add. I really do. I think God's just looking for a church that has this attitude. And then he'll add. And he'll add and he'll add and he'll add. And instead of us having to try and make it happen, we just watch it happen. So let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that we would be the church that you, Jesus, died for. That we would be spotless, without blemish or wrinkle, full of grace, full of love, full of humility. And Lord, that we would share this love with everyone around us. 
I pray, Lord, that you would pour your grace through us to others, to everybody else. Please, Lord, build your church. Build it strong. Build it large, we pray. Father, I pray for the life groups that are, we've already planned and maybe others that will grow up. I pray, Lord, that there will be great growth, great fruit, great life that comes out of them. And I thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.